From the back to tank, this is the Bad Batch edition. Hello, welcome, David. Wow, is all I can say, Mike. Wow. <laughs> they gave us an hour-long episode. Do you realize that the one thing that me and you have been harping on is the fact that we're tired of 30, 40-minute episodes? Yeah. Okay. Give it to us. Come on. An hour episode from Dave Filoni. Give us a girthy running time. That's what we want. We want a girthy running time that just fills us to the point <laughs> that we're finally content. And that's exactly what we were given. And Dave, today, as you have already hinted and previewed, we are going to be discussing, of course, the Bad Batch premiere titled Aftermath. Directed by Stuart Lee. Saul Reese and Nathaniel Villanueva, written by Jennifer Corbett and Dave Maloney. Okay, Dave, so the official press on Star Wars The Bad Batch describes the series as being created by Dave Filoni for the streaming service Disney+. It acts both as a sequel to and spinoff from the series Star Wars The Clone Wars, the Bad Batch is produced by Lucasfilm Animation with Jennifer Corbett as head writer and Brad Rao as supervising director. So that's a bit of a retraction that we must make on this show. We had discussed in numerous past episodes that Filoni was going to be the showrunner. Yeah. Um, because there was a very specific article that we went through that stated that he is the executive producer and showrunner. But apparently that is not the case. Uh, his protege, Jennifer Corbett, will be acting as showrunner with Dave Filoni playing the executive producer role. But as we know, he's very hands on. He's a creative producer, yeah. which is which is just fine. I, I was starting to get a little nervous after I read this article before I actually watched the episode. And I was like, OK, well, we've seen what happened when we let other people <laughs> run shows we get resistance we get poor justin rich yes who now, is nowhere to be seen by the way on this project he has worked with a filoni for countless years and resistance apparently just ended his career his career unfortunately i mean jennifer corbett probably was re his replacement let's let's see yeah especially when they're in the press releases they're touting jennifer corbett as dave filoni's protege remember a long time ago Justin Ridge was touted as his protege, <laughs> taking over for Rebels. Dude, being Dave Filoni's protege is a lot like working on Darth Vader's uh, Star Destroyer. <laughs> might get <laughs> killed. True. You might get killed. By your own doing, though. Filoni's not doing anything. Although I will say, just from the initial episode, I, f I feel more comfortable with 
Jennifer Corbett behind the behind the reins this time around that I do with Justin Ridge because you got to remember at least from the initial get go in this episode she did a a fantastic job compared to like Justin Ridge when he took over for Rebels because remember when he took over me and you were really critical about Rebels at that point saying that the directions just doesn't seem to be there we yeah, were yeah. kind of wondering about the writing at that point was starting to dip. It felt a little aimless at times. Aimless. Whereas with, else. Yeah. Whereas with this, it didn't feel that way at all. Jennifer Corbett seems to have a pretty good handle on things. Yeah. Not to mention, or we can mention again, Filoni's involvement being there as oversight is also going to help. And not so. only that, you, you not only have Jennifer Corbett kind of like, being the head of the head of the, the crew at this point, but you, you also surrounded her with basically veterans of the clone of star Wars, clone wars, the Filoni crew. You have Saul Ruiz and brand uh, Brad Rao behind her. You have Nathaniel Villanueva. I believe, yeah, this is actually. clone wars and rebel alumni. Yeah. So you have the crew around her to be the kind of like that support staff for her. So from the get go, I'm like, very, very optimistic about it. I really think that basically we're in good hands. Baloney basically probably learned his lessons from from the past, hopefully, that if, if he lets someone take control, he's going to have to be very mindful and watch yeah. well, from the I, shadows. <laughs> I was optimistically cautious, I will be honest, about this series. But having Dave Filoni on board as executive producer does help calm the nerves. Oh, yeah. And that that's the thing. As long as I think this crew is in control of the series, I don't think we're going to have the same pitfalls we had with Resistance or no. even part of Rebels. No. The only reason why I had some concerns was because there were some Resistance writers that were put into key roles, and that had me nervous. <laughs> I mean, Jennifer Corbett was one of the main writers on Resistance. So obviously, based on this one episode here, which the script was written just fine, yeah. she obviously is skilled. Well, so let's let's come be down to leadership. Let's also let's also be honest. There are story points in Resistance that had me and you really interested. I mean, like it wasn't as if Resistance was a hundred percent terrible. There, it had its moments where basically you could see the really good writing on the wall, and maybe maybe that's part of Jennifer Corbett. The whole reason why Resistance fell fell flat was because of the lack of, unfortunately, direction that its showrunner gave it. I mean, yeah, that's what ultimately killed killed Resistance because, like, when it comes down to it, the writers can only go so far. It's the, it's the showrunner that's controlling the narrative. Right, yeah. So we're in good hands here. We're in good hands, I think. Now, this series is set in the aftermath of The Order, <laughs> which is known as Six Six, was issued by Darcidius, aka Palpatine. Did you think that we would ever go back to this again after Clone Wars? Remember, we uh, where we left off in Clone Wars, the final season was right at a Revenge of the Sith. Well, we didn't think we were going to get you know a continuation quite like this. Yeah. We had mentioned you know Rex's story potentially within Ahsoka's series and possibly exploring some issues pertaining to 
what it means to have no purpose when you were designed with a, a specific purpose. But now that we have this series, this series falls perfectly into that category. Into that category, yeah. I mean, for me, this premiere episode was everything it needed to be. I like the setup. Uh, it felt like a true Clone Wars spinoff series. And the best thing about this setup is it leaves a wide open road to continue not just the obvious story of the Clone Wars, but the aftermath of it all. And yeah, sure, we have the obvious avenues that we can go down in the ways of aftermath. There are so many different things that they can do with their characters in the way of narrative and subtext, exploring thoughts about soldiers that dedicate their lives to a government that they find out never cared about them, the threat of their identities being taken from them and forced to comply with the new norm. And we are witnessing the rise of a dangerous regime that is uncomfortably similar to our own real world historical texts. Yes. Those are the things we need to explore. If this series is doing what I think it is going to do, then we're in for some very cool stories. Oh, absolutely. And like, especially with the thing I was really, really surprised with was after the opening credit, when you also have, so when we open up the episode and we start with the clone wars and it just slowly burns out and it's, it's basically the tile screen for the bad batch. I was like going, Right off the bat, I'm like going, we're kicking off right where we left off at the end of Clone Wars. Right. The, the, right at the moment that Clone Wars ended. And sure yeah. enough, you have this moment where the Bad Batch, like, you have, you have them witness the famous speech of the Emperor when he makes the announcement that they're not a republic anymore. They're a galactic empire. And not only that, we actually even got to see what happens to the bad batch when order 60 uh 66 happens right and and that's all fine and good those are fan moments those are things that i feel like we need in order to add some continuity and a little bit of context we can recontextualize this entire aftermath everything that we thought we've known all these years could change you know through this storyline and all those things you mentioned are fantastic moments that help add to this story but every single thing in this, whether it be super cool and, and worthy of, you know, fan favorite status, that is besides the point. What does it actually do for the story? And that's what I really liked about this. All those things you brought up, Dave, are awesome moments that are actually going to lead us down this path that we can go down with these characters. This place is this time period is ripe for the picking in the ways of story. I mean, the Bad Batch is grimmer in tone than Clone Wars, in my opinion, in yeah. this first, I'd say, episode, definitely. Oh, absolutely, especially when you actually start delving into kind of like the political landscape that they're trying to set up, which is, you know, essentially the Nazis have won. <laughs> that's yeah. who the emperor, that's who the empire is. And I love, they continue the themes that we've seen throughout a lot of like the stories that we've uh, we've gotten so far in this era of Star Wars, especially, you know, like the whole idea that the Empire is throwing this propaganda out there that, oh, we're just trying to finally bring the universe together as one empire. You know, it's a good thing. Oh, you know, we're going to we're going to do this for the good of everybody. And it's like, 
I like the fact that they continue that because that's an ongoing theme you've, we've seen in other projects like Solo, like like Rogue, Rogue Squadron, like Rebels, where the entire – we know that a lot of people out there do not like the fact that the Empire has taken control like this, but they're they're just going along with it. They have to because – the empire has this vast army that basically just overwhelms everybody at this point because of thanks to the clones. Yeah. And everything you just highlighted, those are things that we all can relate to because they're moments taken from a a history that we're all familiar with. And uh, I like that we're using real world aspects to help ground this story. And honestly, ever since the prequel era, of Star Wars was dropped on us and given to us by our Lord and Savior, George Lucas, it changed the way we looked at the entire, or I should say what we had thought was the political landscape of the original trilogy. And when we witnessed the birth of these prequels, we saw things from a very different perspective. And that's what the Bad Batch is doing now with the prequel movies. They're restructuring and reframing things for us yeah and sure we have that grimmer tone which it needs to be a little bit grimmer i mean we're dealing with not a very happy time no because the empire's won but we do have those moments of levity when needed bringing in omega for example in the into the series helps with this and it brings into the story a mysterious aspect i liked how they they dropped everything on us at the right time yes the inciting incident was perfect. Having those opening moments take place during execute order six, six. I agree. That was a great way to start it. And having that third perspective, um, that is canon feels right. I love having that third perspective. Now, Dave, we have now been given three perspectives when it comes to this execute order six, six, of yes. course, we have the original revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And we have Ahsoka and Clone Wars, the final season. Yes. And now here in Bad Batch, it brings a degree of continuity and cohesiveness. And it goes right back to what you and I always talk about when it comes to this giant universe, this galaxy that we find ourselves in the world of Star Wars. There are so many billions and billions of people across the galaxy. And to just think or assume we know the entire story because we were privy to one perspective in a movie. There's a story for every single person's perspective. Everyone experienced this war. Everyone experienced the sudden rise of the empire. So to see it from multiple perspectives just makes sense. Well, it, it brings into, I mean, especially lately, the last couple of years, I've noticed that everyone's every star Wars fans favorite saying now is obi-wan's from a certain point of view and if you looked at like the storytelling that's being told especially in with dave filoni filoni has been taking that idea that concept from a certain point of view and really really using that to make the star wars galaxy seem bigger like what you said But still, the amazing thing, dude, is like, it's amazing to me that as much as he makes the universe feel vast and everyone has their different point of view, he still has a way of making everything feel cohesive. It never loses itself. He never loses itself. I mean, like, because you run the risk when you do stuff like this, you run the risk of 
convoluting your story. Yeah. When you get just simply throwing in the the whole idea that Master Depa Bil- uh, Bilba was the one that basically the the that order uh, when Order sixty six happens and the Bad Batch are called in to help the the certain Jedi, and you find out that basically the Jedi two duo that they end up helping and actually affects Hunter at that point is Master Dilipa and a young Kanan Jarrus who is Caleb Doom at that point. And I love the fact that throwing that bit of narrative really still makes everything seem like it's flowing. Okay, well, this is the only thing that I didn't like, you know, dealing with Caleb Doom. Like, I liked seeing him. Don't get me wrong. But those of us who read the 2015 tie-in that Marvel Comics did, yeah. titled Kanan, Yes. Probably was as baffled as I was because they definitely retconned the hell out of Caleb's story. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people have been saying that, but okay. Take it from this point of view, though. There is no point of view. (laughs) Well, no, 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 no. Because the story of Caleb at that point, we're seeing it through the eyes of Hunter. That's That's who we see, right? If you go back and you actually read the the comic book of uh last padawan you're seeing it through caleb's eyes you're seeing the basically through a child's eyes of this annihilation okay. this complete annihilation of i, I his don't master. buy that i don't buy that that this is as bad as obi-wan not remembering he had a droid <laughs> <Had> a droid <laughs> No, it's not as bad as that because this is I was about uh, this to is say a, no, this that's is a not Marvel comic that probably 20,000 people read. Unfortunately, but, yes. My point is is that I I get your point, Dave. I get that, but there are things that are drastically different. Okay, so you're on the same planet. Uh it's not the bad batch was nowhere around in that story. <laughs> They were not. No, they were not. So, it is a completely different take. It's the same idea he must flee and run and I get it and I'm okay with it. I'm not annoyed. It, it did raise some red flags because it does concern me when writers choose to just retcon something that was barely five years ago and you're just like, eh, fuck it. <laughs> I, that kind of irks me in general. Cause I feel like there's a little bit of laziness there because if you as a writer are a part of this group, this conglomerate of writers that have all agreed to abide by the rules of Lucasfilm and write as one, essentially, then how hard is it to say, hey, Caleb's backstory, what do we have so far? Not that difficult. Oh, we have a 2015 comic series that you might want to read. Let's not fuck it up because we have gone to great length to tell people that everything's connected. That's how we sold this in 2012, that everything will be officially connected. Books, comics, cartoons, movies, everything. Oh, but if we feel like it, we'll just retcon this. Like that, I don't. I don't subscribe to that line of thinking. However, that being said, I do understand when you have to make a certain decision for whatever reason, when you're dealing with more mainstream pieces of a franchise. And I feel like there was a specific purpose for this scene. Dave Filoni isn't going to throw Caleb Doom in this story for for shits and giggles. No. The story didn't even really need him. 
However, it does a few things. It was a nice touch to bring all of Filoni's work together yes. under this narrative umbrella. There is, once again, a sense of cohesiveness. I don't see Caleb having a big part in the series per no, se no, 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 moving no. forward, but I do feel like it was more about strengthening Caleb's strengthening Caleb's distrust of the clones. Of the clones, yeah. While also contrasting the clones that have been controlled by Order 66. Yes. Absolutely, yeah, because like I think especially in this series after this premiere I'm I'm willing to say that I remember in one of our past episodes when you were wondering if we would get any force elements in this series that would, you know, carry the series on. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think the closest thing we're ever going to see of the force element was what we saw in the premiere. That's it. I think at this point, the main focus is going to be the story of the clones in the aftermath of Basically, essentially, all the clones at this point are all brainwashed. They are not the clones that we all grew to love in Clone Wars. They're now under the control of the Emperor. Right. But we got to remember also that the clones aren't going to have a big story. They're not going to have a big purpose in the story because we've already had that series. It's called the Clone Wars. Absolutely. And I see a lot of people talking about this being a a sequel to Clone Wars. And I'm like, this isn't a sequel. This is a spinoff. And this series is going to disappoint you if you think this is going to be Clone Wars Part 2 because it's not. Omega is the focus of the story. I think so, too. That's going to be the center of the story. Omega and and Hunter's relationship, I think, is going to be kind of like the the heart. I agree. Of the series. And that works. That absolutely works. We've seen it before. It's a common trope in Star Wars up to this point, as well as fantasy stories as a whole, which is definitely a genre that inspired much of Star Wars. So it all works. Now, as I was saying, Dave, pertaining to these different aspects that we've gone through over the last 20 or 30 minutes, the fact that we're dealing with a time in Star Wars history that is chaotic, a time of transition when the Empire is tightening its or their grip and really showing their fangs to anyone nearby or willing to question the sudden you know, disillusion of the Republic and then the reforming into an empire. Now, all of this is is perfect to explore a very personal story pertaining to every member of Clone Force 99. They can pose questions about purpose. Oh, they did and that. Yeah. Existence. You know, clones that took pride in fighting the good fight to only be treated like the enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were created to fight for a government that no longer exists and is ideologically different in every way. To see them question their existence and to see them a little rudderless and confused, I felt was a great touch to this episode. I feel like we would have a win on our hands. If the writer continues, or I should say the writers, I feel like we would have a win here with this series, something that we can all rally behind for years to come. Absolutely. If the writers continue down this route, because they're in a lot of ways, the story writes itself. We already, that's the awesome thing about spinoffs. Many times we know the characters. We understand the score. We know what's at risk. So now fill in the gaps. Yes. And this series, that's why this episode, some people were saying we needed, I saw some complaints out there by a few critics saying that we needed a little bit more to the <laughs> more, premiere. More what? We needed more uh, in the way of character development, 
And I'm like, well, okay, this is a spin off and I'm going to give them a little leeway because number one, they are latching themselves on to revenge of the Sith. So most of us should understand what the beginning's about. Cause they mentioned specifically the beginning and how it started. And I'm a bit bewildered that people were complaining about that because I, I can't imagine a better way starting this series as a, as a connection to things we've seen before to really get things going and not just in the ways of story and, and making things a little bit easier because you're dealing with a spinoff series with characters we know, but just in the way of emotions, we understand execute order six, six and what happened. So use those emotions that we already feel that we already know is there and use that to springboard this story immediately into areas that we as an audience are already invested. Yes. And in a lot of ways, just like what you pointed, pointed out by showing us that different point of view, it gives us a better understanding of the incident. I mean, let's face it. Order 66 is probably number one moment in all of Star Wars. That's how it should be. It's the fall of the Republic. It's the fall of the Jedi and the rise of the Empire. It leads us into New Hope. It leads us into the the Skywalker saga. And like when you get to when you get to this, just like you said, it's a spin-off that with characters we already understand, but you have to add. I always felt that they have to add something to it. They and I felt that they did, especially with seeing more of the reactions of the bad batch to order 66 and seeing that basically they're all individuals. They all have different ways of looking at it. And it made that, that tension between Hunter and crosshair. So understandable because I don't see crosshair. I see a lot of people saying, Oh, crosshair is going to be the biggest, the big, big bad villain for the series. I don't see crosshairs as the villain because in a lot of ways, Crosshairs was confused why they why Hunter made the choice he did because by all account do you mean evil or a villain because he is the villain he, I I don't uh, I don't think he's evil no he's How's being that? he's being programmed he's being programmed yeah. and like the whole point of Crosshairs was like to kind of show that the clones don't have control of anything but, the only thing they understand at that point what Crosshairs was was constantly saying is like I have to be a good soldier, being a good soldier, follow your orders, get the mission done. Something that all the clones since Clone Wars have been basically taught since birth. Yeah, well, that's that's going to be the story there that gives us that divide. And that's why I think this series benefits by being a spinoff. These are characters we already knew. We already understood that these characters were very close. They were comrades in arms. Uh, They've been to hell and back. So to create that divide amongst their ranks is awesome because it gives us that personal villain touch, which also just goes into some awesome territory to explore the programmings of war. Whether we know it or not, we're being we're being programmed every (laughs) single day. There's propaganda being tossed at us all the time. And I feel like this is a bit of an allegory for what's going on in this country. And maybe I'm over, you know dissecting something but when you're dealing with something political like this and then you have a divide of ideology between brothers 
to the point to where they become enemies. That's a good story. Oh, yeah. That's a relevant story. I want to go to an interview briefly, Dave, that Jennifer Corbett had done with comicbook.com. And they had asked her about Dave Filoni, you know, as a tutor and as a leader, like what has she learned from him? And this just made me smile because it's everything we talk about. She said, I remember him saying, if you can't relate what you're saying in this episode to the real world, then you shouldn't be telling the story because even though you're dealing with Star Wars, it needs to be grounded in some sort of reality. Otherwise, you're just playing in a place that you shouldn't. So I feel like that's how we're keeping it true to what Star Wars really is. Yes. I like that she gets it and she understands that a series isn't about your plot points. It's about the unsaid. And that's all over this series. And I know that in later seasons of Clone Wars, Filoni delved into these more nuanced areas, but not like this. And I feel like because we're in a modern era of television writing, when this show premieres, we're also on Disney Plus. It's a a big deal right now in the streaming world games. And Disney Plus wants to flex their muscle. And they're allowing writers to get a little bit more technical in some of their things. This isn't resistance this isn't even rebels on disney channel this feels like something with a lot of substance and we're barely getting started dave that's why i'm excited for this series now Mm -hmm. and that's that shows much more confidence that jennifer jennifer corbett understands not just you know how to be a star wars writer but to be a writer in general because that's a that's an idea that I feel that, especially nowadays, writers have to take to heart is like you have to find a way to make your story seem relevant to today. Or at least write for someone out there that you feel can connect, can connect, can connect to your story, whether it be emotional, uh, political, um, familial, it, it it doesn't matter. I mean, everyone can connect to something. Yeah. But the, the caveat to that is learning that balance between, you know, writing a well done narrative that basically touches or, or gets to relate to your audience and standing on a soapbox, you know, me and you, right. me yeah. and you have talked about it in nauseum in all of our shows of how we're so sick and tired of writers constantly trying to be political and it's shoved in our face and basically it just takes away from the narrative. From Jennifer Corbett, it sounds like she really understands what she needs to do as a creator to tell the narrative that she, she she's going to be passionate about her narrative, but she's never going to deviate from that narrative. She's not going to stand on a soapbox and say, this week we're going to tell about this. Well, lesson. we hope. We hope. It's still early. It's still early. Still early, Dave. Overall, the plot progression of the series of of this episode was just fine. And the setup, I like how they're bringing everything around, explaining that transition period between Clone Trooper to Stormtrooper, which I'm sure is going to be a big part (laughs) of this show moving forward, reintroducing us to Tarkin as the immediate threat. Oh, dude, I was so excited with Tarkin and the way that they use Tarkin, too, is they use Tarkin 
in a way to explain the new, how the new regime works. And I love the fact that basically the way he used now, this is, this is no surprise because if you've watched clone wars, you know how Tarkin feels about the clones, right? He does not like them. He thinks that they're expensive. He thinks that basically they're a waste and like he would rather have a bunch of, you know, a hundred uh, scripted uh, troopers than a hundred clones because like he, he, they're much more cheaper and it's much more cost effective. I love the fact that they use technically Tarkin as a way of explaining why the stormtroopers are worse than the clones. It's just a great way to show how callous the empire is. Not that we need any more examples. We understand the empire at this point, but it does, it does its job. They have to reintroduce this, this threat that is Tarkin. And by keeping him consistent, you know, kudos for keeping him consistent with everything that we know of him. But that final act, Dave, was perfect in setting up the series with Omega leaving with Hunter and the crew. Yes. Because then you had that hook, the hook we always talk about, that gimmick that all first episodes should have when one of the Kaminoans, is that is that what you call them? Yeah, Kaminoans. When one of the Kaminoans converse about Omega leaving with Clone Force 99 and they say that they must be cautious until the Empire's intentions are made clear. Yes. So there's something about Omega that is important that the Kaminoans may not want the Empire to know of at this point. Did you see how once the episode ended, that's all fans were talking about is like, okay, everyone start throwing their their tinfoil hat ideas of who, what the whole big deal of Omega is. And she's Ray's mom. <laughs> oh, dude, I've seen that. David, one. she's Ray's mom. <laughs> and she is so special. She was a cloned Jedi. Yeah. There's so many people were so many people jumped to that. The clone Jedi aspect. Well, it could be. It would definitely it be, be a game changer. But we need to be careful if we're getting into that. That area. Same thing I said about Grogu before we knew who he was and that he was actually a youngling at some point. Exactly. A lot of us just assumed that he was a clone. clone. (laughs) Yeah. Now there are some clues. So her name, Omega, does leave some clue as to who she may be. Most people know that it's the final letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is often used to denote the last, the end. Or the ultimate limit of a set. Yes. So there's got to be some bearing there. Some meaning. You don't just name a character Omega. (laughs) That sounds pretty cool. There's got to be a reason for that. And we will see. I'm sure we have 16 episodes this season day. We have 16 episodes. So in about two and a half months or so, we should know those answers. The animation as well, before we close out, Dave was just holy shit yes baloney has grown as a creator Can he you is bu- not just he has matured this is like pulp fiction with clone wars <laughs> and inglorious bastards is bad batch bad batch like there's a maturity yeah. both are awesome and great but there's a maturity when you look at the work of the artists as they go through the years, you can yes. see their, 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 the quality of work changes. 
it's amazing too because especially for me because like ever since me and you have started the rewatching and covering like the old like the the earlier seasons of Clone Wars yeah my god dude the 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 development of the animation studio let, let, let's put aside the writing and the the technique that Filoni has garnered throughout all those seasons but the animation itself the visuals night and day because like if you look at season one i remember me and you made fun of season one well it was lifeless it and was clunky. lifeless it was clunky it looked the, the, like uh, mannequins talking exactly and they were like moving very stock uh stocky and everything else here there is life in those animations in the faces i, I was like really surprised how much expression and and life you could get from each of the bad batch members like yes they're all clones but the way that they're able to animate their personalities in the way they 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 act not just the, the way they talk but the way they act and the way they the, look the way they emote yeah yeah it's amazing you would yeah. never have seen this early on in clone wars in like season one yeah no, I agree. It's also cinematic as well. Yeah. Which is obviously because Baloney has grown as a filmmaker. As a filmmaker. And he has now experienced the the nuance of live action. And he has even said as much in an interview that was about The Mandalorian. And he had said that, no, I'm sorry, it was an interview for the final season of Clone Wars. And he had said one of the biggest things about his return to Clone Wars is that he has learned a lot as a filmmaker. And he's taking a lot of what he learned from the live action side and he's using it and, and putting it into his animation. And the final season is the end result, which yeah. is the most cinematic season of the Clone Wars. We had gushed over the cinematography, which isn't really a thing in animation, but the depth of field, uh, the racking of focus, uh, the ramping of film speed, they're animating in such a way to convey the sense of the cinematic yes uh, the one thing that me and you have never touched on that i think in this particular season opener really hit me was the lighting lighting is good like i there didn't moments- realize that i was like looking at it going this is an animation but all the lighting is just on point like there are moments in the background the landscape shots whenever there isn't a character on the screen i feel like i'm watching a real star wars film yeah Mm-hmm. It's not until the characters enter the frame, like, oh, yeah, we're watching a cartoon. We're because watching a cartoon. the ships, the planets. I mean, it's amazing looking. There's just so much. The color palette is perfect, and there's so much depth. There's a warm, a warmth to it. It feels like I'm watching a film. A film, and I even, I even hear that from a lot of like people that after bad batch came out, I started trying to gauge what everyone's thoughts were. And everyone was like going the final season of clone wars was at first thought to be a masterpiece. Right. But then you get to this season premiere and everyone's like going, just like what you said, you felt like you were watching live action. You weren't watching an animation. You were watching a movie at that, at some point because a lot of people were like going, is that, set real because the way it's lit the way it's it's shot looks like you would actually see something like that in the mandalorian and that's when i started noticing it after 
about midway through the episode, I'm like going, something's weird about this episode. It's not a bad weird. I was telling myself, but then it hit me. I'm like going, the lighting, the lighting looks like it's legit. It's like they, they were looking at the animation and saying, Hey, that light, if we were actually on set, that light has to be over here or that light has to be on, on actor right or actor left or give it, give it a ghoul lighting at one point. And I'm like going, I've never seen this, this much detail done into an animation before. And it, it, when I, when I went back and I looked back at, like, I watched the first, I I forgot what episode I watched. I think it was like season two around season two of clone wars. And I'm like going, everything looks flat. There's no, there's no lighting. There's no shadows. Yeah. Absolutely. No shadows here. Shadows are goddamn everywhere. Yeah. It's great, man. It's, Really good work. I cannot be happier with this premiere. Those are my final thoughts, Dave. And I will give this an RMD score of 86. Oh, and also Saw Gerrera. Come on. Oh, dude, that scene too. There's so much that we that, that this episode just gave us. My final thoughts on this uh, premiere. I'm going to say this right now. This is one of the best premieres I've seen for Star Wars. And that's including, you know, like Mandalorian. That's including like past seasons of Clone Wars. This premiere for me. What about the Jupa premiere? <laughs> Let's not talk about that one, Mike. That one, that one was not a good season premiere opener. That did not. I think Justin Ridge was involved in that one. <laughs> he actually was. <laughs> but like. He actually, that was his first episode. <laughs> I think that as a premiere goes, this is probably the best way they could have started off this series. And I, I actually rated this premiere relatively high. I gave it a, by the end of the day, I gave it a 92. All right. Because I kept thinking to myself, I was thinking about the past premieres that we, me and you have covered for star Wars. Forget the past, Dave. (laughs) Do not live in the past, but like I have not seen a premiere this well polished. What about the premiere of Last Jedi? Oh, let's not go there. <laughs> that was a polished turd. That was a polished turd, Mike. <laughs> All right. So any other final thoughts, Dave? No, I think we've we've blown this episode, this premiere as much as possible, probably because of also the power of Dave Filoni. But hey, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, I do want to remind people, Dave, that we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital. When you head over there, you can choose to subscribe to a Patreon tier. If you want to hear more Star Wars discussions every single month, then be sure to subscribe to our podcast tier, which is a measly $5 a month. Or you can do an annual rate and you save two months. Either way, you get more back to tank and a whole lot of other content. Thousands of hours of additional audio and video entertainment. Patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, yes. Ah!